Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Have those guys do the antiphonal reading of the Word of God and pray together. Awesome. Psalm 103 is a poem of praise that celebrates the abundant goodness of God and His love for His people. It gives us so many good reasons to praise God. And while it might sound unfamiliar to us, the author actually begins the psalm, uh, which is really a, a Hebrew poem, by urging himself to bless the Lord. Then he goes on to list the benefits that we should not forget. So let's have a look at the first few verses again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The purpose of Psalm 103 is to generate praise for God by celebrating the abundant goodness of God to his people. Indeed, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. When we bless the Lord, when we praise God, when we sing praises like we did just a moment ago, or we praise him in prayer, we're actually giving proper recognition to God and giving joyful expression uh, to his magnificence, to his glory, to his, uh, his majesty and his exalted position. We're, we're really lifting the name and majesty and glory of God up for all to see. So it's good to not forget the Lord. It's good to not forget his benefits. It's good for us not to overlook or disregard what God has done. Patty and I, when we first got married, started a book of thanksgiving. We actually would write down answers to prayer that God had given either one of us or both of us. And in those moments or those seasons when life would get really difficult and challenging, we would go back to the book of thanksgiving and just read. Uh, It would only take a page or two, uh, five or six answers to prayer for the Lord to remind us of all he has done and we would be able to lift our voices and our heads again and say, bless the Lord, O my soul. We're not going to forget again until next week. (laughs) It's good not to forget. In his runaway bestseller, the one-minute manager, Ken Blanchard, recommends that uh, leaders, business leaders, develop the practice of one-minute praising. The one-minute manager, of course, is a business book, and Blanchard's idea was for, for, for employers to catch their employees doing something right, doing something good, and, and take a moment right there, right then and there, to give them a one-minute praising. Don't wait, but, but 
catch your employee right on the spot with, so that everyone else can hear, give them a word of, of thanks and a word of praise. You know, and I, I think that idea can apply very, very well to our relationship with God. When we catch God doing something that favors us, when we see something that we appreciate that God has done, when we see God at work, we ought to stop right then and there and praise Him. To help us get started, Psalm 103 lists five tremendous benefits in the first part of the, this poem uh, for which we can bless the Lord. The first benefit is forgiveness. Bless the Lord who forgives all your iniquity. So the author, David, begins by reminding us that God forgives our sin. It's not surprising that he starts here with this benefit because everything else flows out of this. I mean, if, you're, if your sin is not forgiven, <laughs> the rest of the benefits don't mean much. He does not take time here in this psalm, in this verse, to explain exactly how the Lord forgives us or why the Lord forgives us or when or where. The Psalms are written as, as Hebrew poetry and as such they, they often give a, a general statement without giving a lot of detail. I was at a wedding reception yesterday and the, uh, several poems were read. Some of them made sense and some of them didn't, but they were short on details but big on the big picture. And, and that's often what Hebrew poetry does. It gives us a general statement without a lot of detail. However, when we, when we move into the New Testament and the teaching epistles and, and other types of literature in the New Testament, we're, we're introduced to Jesus and we can start to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. So Psalm 103 extols the Lord because he forgives all our iniquity but doesn't give us a lot of detail at that very moment. When we move into the New Testament and we're introduced to Jesus, we start to see the how, when, where, and, and, and why He forgives us. For example, when Peter is preaching about Jesus in Acts chapter 10, he says in verse 43, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through His name. That's how. We, we, we receive forgiveness through the name of Jesus. And he says, all of the prophets, you mean, you mean Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and all of the prophets? They all point toward Jesus and the forgiveness that he gives us through his name? Yes, that's exactly what it means. That's what it says, that's what it means. And it's delightful. So the details, the the, the added information comes to us as we continue to, to read the unfolding revelation of God from the Old Testament to the New. And we see Psalm 103 even pointing us to Jesus that far back. Ephesians 1.7 tells us that in Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So yes, praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why? Because He forgives our sin. No one else can do that, right? And he sets us free. In Yosemite National Park, there stands a 3,000-foot sheer granite cliff called El Capitan. It's long been a rock climber's dream, but it's a daring dream. It's, it's a dangerous dream. 
Reaching the top of El Capitan used to take days with the use of ropes and climbing gear and a climbing partner. Back in those days, most uh, climbers climbed by twos or threes. But in the past few decades, speed climbers have been smashing all the previously held records for the ascent of El Capitan. And just a few weeks ago, on June 3rd, a guy by the name of Alex Honold smashed all the previous records. It took him only four hours to climb El Capitan without ropes, without safety gear, without a climbing partner. He did it all by himself. He said, I didn't want anyone or anything else to hold me back. Friends, don't let sin hold you back. When you've got access to forgiveness by the grace of God, why in the world would you let sin hold you back? You can be set free. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Huh. Thank you, Jesus. That's enough. Let's go home. Right? That's just such a wonderful truth. And it's a benefit given to God's people. And Psalm 103 says we should praise the Lord and bless the Lord because of it. The second benefit mentioned by David is healing. Bless the Lord who heals all your diseases. I spent last week in Florida. It was supposed to be vacation with my bride. But I wasn't done this message yet. And so I took all of it, all the material with me so that I could work on it. I spent hours just on this phrase. Hours. And to some of you, the reasons will be obvious. But you can imagine how a verse like this, when it's pulled from its literary and historical context, could create a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of confusion. And believe me, it has. Does this mean that God heals every disease and sickness in the life of every believer who lays claim to this so-called promise? Is, 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 that, is that where we're going with this? Well, some have. And it creates Incredible confusion, in my opinion. And it's a misunderstanding of this particular text. Before we jump too quickly to our own interpretation or to our own application, we really need, we really need to do our homework. <laughs> we, we need to read the scriptures as deeply and as carefully as we can. And if we, you have a study Bible, that, that would help you to read the notes in the margin. But we, we need to understand the historical and literary context. And remember that this is Hebrew poetry. It's, it's poetry. And you read poetry differently than you read uh, a how to fix your carburetor manual, right? You, you read that differently. It's written differently. It's intended to be read differently 
than an instruction manual. This is Hebrew poetry. It's, it's the truth of God, absolutely, but it's not necessarily exhaustive at every point. Remember I, I said earlier that many times in the Psalms you read a general statement of truth. You have to go elsewhere to find all the details to support it. We need the rest of Scripture to fill in the blanks. And we, we cannot really force this text to say something that's not intended by the author. And I don't think the author is actually intending to say that God heals every illness, every sickness, every bit of suffering in the life of every believer who would dare to ask him to do so. You sit under Psalm 103 for a while, and you will notice that the word heals in verse 3 is actually in parallel with the word forgives. You see that? And remember, this is poetry. And parallelism is, is very important in poetry, extremely important in Hebrew poetry. And then you look again and, and you find the word diseases is actually in parallel with the word iniquity. What does that tell us? It tells us that the word heals in verse 3 in Psalm 103 may be employed here to describe the restoration of the moral and spiritual life of the believer. Because forgives is in parallel to heals. So that, that points us in a direction for interpretation that we ought to go. So this is more likely about healing your heart, not your body. It's more likely about healing our spiritual diseases, things like selfishness and unbelief and pride and slander and gossip and worldliness. And I know we don't struggle with any of those things, but so on and so forth. All of these, these spiritual diseases that, that Scripture talks about. But that begs the question, very quickly people are saying, okay, but, but doesn't it also include physical healing? Can't we trust God for physical healing? Do we believe that God heals the body today? Yes, we do. Have we ever seen a biblical divine healing? Yes, we have. In fact, just last week when we were in Florida, <clears throat> Patty went into a restroom and there was a cleaning lady in the restroom who was hunched over, rubbing her back. And Patty said, are you okay? And the woman said, oh, yes, I'm, I'm fine. It's just I have, a, I have a very bad back and I have a lot of pain today, but I'll, I'll be fine. And Patty said, it was the Holy Spirit said to her, pray for her. And she's going like, now? You, you want me to pray for her now? In the bathroom? <laughs> the Lord said, pray for her. So Patty said, Can, could I pray for you and pray for your back? Oh, that, that would be lovely. Thank you so much. And so she just lightly put her hands on this lady and prayed in Jesus' name that God would, would heal her if that was his will. And after she prayed, the lady looked up and burst out into a song. And sang a little chorus to my wife. And Patty said when she was done, how's your back? She said, my back is fine. My back is fine. 
Does God heal the body? Yes, he does. Does God heal the body every time we ask him? The answer is probably not. Should we still trust God for healing today? Yes, of course. But please, let's use the right texts. I'm I'm just suggesting this morning that Psalm 103 is not the proof text that we should use for divine healing. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Elsewhere, God's word has verses like 1 Peter 2.24, where Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. So yes, there, there's provision for healing in the, in the Bible, but not always an unqualified promise. You see the difference between that? Provision and promise? There's provision for healing in the New Testament and in our walk with God, but there's not always an unqualified promise that every time we ask for it, it will happen. Some camps in our family believe that and teach that. And we keep picking up the pieces, the broken pieces, the broken lives, who come to us and say, I prayed for healing, it didn't happen. And now my church thinks that I'm not even a Christian. So let's just be careful how we handle the Word of God. We, we want to encourage people and help people, not, not, provide more, not, not add more burden to their lives. And, and if anyone is sick among us, James 5.14, let him call for the elders of the church. Uh, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, yes, we encourage people in our church to take God at his word, to obey his word, to call for the elders of the church when they're sick or suffering, and trust God for divine healing. We do that. We believe that. Healing is available, but not always guaranteed. Healing is available, but not always guaranteed. I have wrestled with this for years. We have a severely disabled daughter. We have run to the Lord and knelt at the altar so many times asking God for healing for Jamie. But she still can't walk on her own. She still has no language skills. Uh, She can't function. She can't manipulate anything with her hands. Those of you who've been around the gathering for a while know this. I have a dear friend who's been in and out of the hospital for many weeks now. Uh, White blood cell count up and down. Fever up and down. uh, Very ill very sick, very much trusting God. Why? Why, Lord? Why haven't you healed? So after many years of grappling with this issue, I have come to the place where I have laid down my reasoning, my intellect, my vast and expensive education, all my degrees at the foot of the cross. 
and just said, Lord, while I believe you provide for healing, I don't have all the answers. And I don't always know how it works or when it works or why it works and why it doesn't. But I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to trust you anyway. You are the one who has the words of eternal life. You're the only one we can turn to. Where else are we going to find answers to our questions? Who else is going to provide healing? He's the only one. So if God wants to heal someone, He can and He will. And if He chooses not to heal, then we will still praise Him. Though the cattle stalls be empty, and the fig trees be barren, and the locusts eat the crops, even though He slay me, yet I will praise Him. Because He is God. And worthy of our praise. Amen. Amen. So, bless the Lord, O my soul. We praise God who brings forgiveness and healing and deliverance. Verse 4, bless the Lord who redeems your life from the pit. To redeem something means to, to rescue it from danger in a time of trouble. And so we thank God for the rescue and the deliverance that he provides every single day. Every day. You know, when you, when you jump on the green light and there's, there's a guy coming on your right and he slams on the brakes because he was ready to go through the red and as you jump the green, that's God's deliverance right there. There are so many times that God delivers us in a day we don't even know about it. Only the unseen world recognizes the protection and deliverance of God in our daily lives. The purpose of Psalm 103 is to, to inspire God's people to praise Him for His overwhelming goodness and His love. And He alone is our deliverance, and that's another good reason to praise Him. A few years ago, Prince William of Great Britain completed his three-year assignment as a Royal Air Force search and rescue helicopter pilot. You remember the story? It was all over the news, uh, headlines all around the world. <clears throat> Why? Because he's part of the British royal family. But I think our story of rescue is far more exciting than his story that hit the headlines around the world. The King of Kings did not just uh, commandeer a helicopter and rescue us with ropes and harness. He descended into our messy world, took upon himself the form of a human being, died on a cross, shed his blood, not to rescue us from an accident, but to rescue us from sin. And for that, we can praise him. He is our deliverer. Another benefit is coronation. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Older translations say that he crowns you with loving kindness. And that's a, that's a great word. It's a word that tries to reflect the unending, unchanging, unrelenting love of God toward us. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. It's one of the verses that I, I would turn to uh, when our daughter Kristen first started dating and she would want to date some young man who had asked her out for a date. And ever since the time she was old enough to understand English, I would say to her, Honey, when a boy comes to ask you for a date, you have to say to him, You have to ask my father first. 
So when she was three and four and five and six, all the way to 16, because 16 was when she could start to date, not before, I would remind her and she'd go, and, you know, as a young kid, oh, dad. I said, honey, tell me, what, what are you going to say to a boy who asks you out for a date? Oh, you have to ask my father first. <laughs> exactly. Thank you very much. Let's go and have some ice cream. So when the time came, 16th birthday came, I thought, boy, it's going to be like the day after or maybe the day of. She's going to... And it wasn't very long after her 16th birthday that the first boy came knocking at the door. She followed through. When he asked her for a date, she said, well, you have to ask my father first. And so he did. And I brought him in tried to be as intimidating as possible. (laughs) My daughter says I'm pretty good at that. Sat the boy down and said, so, you know, where are you from and who's your family and, you know, the whole bit. Of course, I knew the answers to all those questions because I'd done my homework already. Uh, (laughs) Sat the boy down, talked to him a little bit, and I said, and, you know, um, before I give you my response, I just want to remind you that my daughter, Kristen, the one you want to date, has been crowned by God with loving kindness and mercy. Psalm 8 says that God has crowned her life with glory and honor. And believe me, mister, you do not want to mess around with God's glory and honor, do you? (laughs) No, Mr. Lino, I don't. (laughs) Strike the fear of God into that boy. And it was interesting because that actually happened not once, but every young man that she wanted to date. That was the rule in our house. I commend it to you, young fathers. He crowns us with steadfast love. And so every time I think about this verse, I think about those boys sitting in my, in my living room with their knees knocking. He crowns us with steadfast love. Not the kind of love that's here today and gone tomorrow. Not the kind of love that you see on As the World Turns or General Hospital where everybody's, every episode somebody's sleeping with somebody else's girlfriend. Or, not that kind of love. But, but the steadfast, unwavering, dedicated, reliable, faithful, trustworthy love of God. He crowns us with that love. And He also crowns us with mercy. The Bible says that God is rich in mercy. He doesn't have just a little bit. He's rich. He's he's pathetically wealthy in mercy. So, So rich in mercy that he can take an absolutely spiritually dead man or woman, boy or girl, and bring them to life in Christ by his grace and goodness. It's powerful. And then he helps us to learn how to walk in grace, and He helps us to love God and love others and grow in our faith and and serve Him and and begin to multiply disciples and, and plant churches. All by the grace of God and the power of God, He fills us with His Spirit and makes us His own. He crowns us with mercy. The purpose of this psalm is to persuade us to praise God. I think it's doing a pretty good job, don't you? Persuading us to praise God in spite of our stuff. And everybody's got stuff. Everybody's got issues. Let's praise Him. The King of the universe who sits on the throne in His heavens, 
covers us from head to toe with steadfast love and mercy. So you can go to work tomorrow and say, bring it on. I'm, I'm covered with steadfast love and mercy. Bring it on. You can't touch me. I belong to God. And besides that, he's covered me with steadfast love and mercy from head to toe. There's one more benefit I want to mention this morning, and that is satisfaction. Bless the Lord who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What does it mean to be satisfied? What does it mean to be satisfied? To be satisfied means to be so full that you need nothing more. Satisfied. We're not talking about the satisfaction that comes from a new car or a new house or a new boat or a new relationship or a new engagement. We're talking about something quite different because the newness in those situations always wears off, doesn't it? I remember when I bought a new car once, I used to park it in the parking lot way far away where there were no cars and I'd, I'd walk. No, I didn't care because I didn't want my new car to get scratched. That lasted about six days. And then I'm like everybody else trying to find the spot that's closest to the door. Newness wears off and disappointment settles in. Psalm 103 is talking about satisfaction that comes from the good that God himself brings into our lives. Through His steadfast love and mercy. That's the good that He brings that satisfies us. Without the goodness of God, without God bringing His good into our lives, we'll never be satisfied. And if we're not satisfied with the steadfast love and mercy of God and we're always wanting more, we will not be satisfied. When the Lord satisfies us with His goodness... Psalm 103 says, then our lives are refreshed and revived and renewed. Power and pleasure and possessions can't satisfy us because those things are all temporary. You need Jesus. If you're going to be satisfied, you need Jesus and you need more of Him. Every day you need more of Him. In his novel, Oliver Twist, Dickens gives us that Memorable, that famous scene in which Oliver Twist, this skinny, frail orphan living in this orphanage, approaches Mr. Bumble and at the dinner table and holds out his bowl and says, Please, sir, may I have some more? And Mr. Bumble is absolutely undone by the audacity of this, this little skinny rail of a boy named Oliver Twist and he he goes to the overseers and and tells them that Oliver wants more and they explode with rage. He wants more! He wants more! In stark contrast, Psalm 103 pictures a God who fills our empty bowls over and over And over again. And he never ever tires. Or never gets angry. When his children come. Asking for more. 
So let's ask for more, shall we? That we might be satisfied in Jesus. To be satisfied means to be so full that you need nothing else. Full of Jesus. Full of His love. Full of His goodness. Full of His steadfast love and mercy. Full to overflowing. Five remarkable incentives. Five incredible benefits that we, that we, are, we have access to as the people of God. Forgiveness. Healing. Deliverance. Coronation. Satisfaction. So what? What is our takeaway from this this morning? What's the big idea in Psalm 103? Well, simply this. God is worthy of our praise. And we ought to praise Him. We're so pragmatic, you know. So what's in it for me? What's in it for me? The answer? Pretty simple. Nothing. This is all about Him. This is about praising Him. This is about giving glory and honor to Him. And in that, we are satisfied in Christ. Last year during the Super Bowl, it cost advertisers $4 million for 30 seconds of commercial time. The most expensive advertising time in all the world. And I read an interesting comment. One advertising executive was actually offering some advice to churches based on that fact. And he said, you don't need big budgets to impress people. You don't need big budgets to impress people. He said, if you have something important to say, you can win the conversation. If you have something important to say, you can win the conversation. And right now, I can't think of anything more important to say in response to all these benefits of Psalm 103 than to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. So let's pray together. Father, we bless your name today. We thank you for your steadfast love and your mercy every single day. You're rich in love. You're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. Lord Jesus, we have so many, so many good reasons to to lift your name in praise and worship today. You're worthy of our, our worship and our adoration. You, you forgive us and you, you heal us, you, you redeem us, and you crown us with your steadfast love and mercy. You satisfy us with good, and we love you for that, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.